Well, today we deal with the Abrahamic covenant, or we begin to. We're only going to scratch the surface of that. And it's really vital to our understanding as, uh, as Reformed Baptists and New Covenant believers. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant is misunderstood in, in many, many ways. We'll spend a number of weeks trying to, to clear it up. Uh, do understand this, on, um, sun, on Wednesday nights, Pastor Ken will be preaching through the life of Abraham. He takes up a great deal of the book of Genesis. Uh, and so we're not going to deal with that. That's not what we're going to deal with, but we'll have to deal with parts of it because the covenant uh, keeps reappearing over and over again throughout the life of Abraham. And uh, we'll see even the beginnings of that today. And I think if my memory serves me right, which it didn't a few moments ago, uh, Abraham takes up from chapters um, 12 to 24, I believe. So, so that's quite a chunk of scripture there. So last week we dealt with the Noahic covenant. It's my opinion that uh, while almost everyone knows about the flood that lives in the United States of America, most don't believe in the flood. And science, except for scientists that are Christians, generally would deny the flood, even though they admit things like, well, there's been fossils of the ocean found in Colorado, which, uh, by the way, is, happens to have the, the highest uh, uh, geographical uh, average in the whole United States, even more than Alaska. That's, that's courtesy of Jeopardy, by the way. <laughs> Colorado, highest, you know. It, uh, over, it averages over 5,000 feet. Okay, and it's got peaks higher. Anyway, Noah lived in both worlds. The world that was, and then the world that is. He saw the evil that uh, God had uh, seen and destroyed the world because of in the former world. But then he emerged from the ark only to see the evil of his own heart and uh, the evil of those that were in the ark with him. And of course, evil still remained in the world. Uh, no surprise there, right? We're living in the world that Noah lived in post-ark and the evil in the world. We see God's unmerited favor bestowed on Noah in the midst of a judgment. Um, and uh, and uh, God said, I'm going to flood the earth, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And Hebrews 11:7 says, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. We talked about that verse last week. So, as we've seen and will see, um, the Noahic covenant was a covenant of, of universal common grace because um, saved and lost alike are going to be living at the end of the world. But it's also a, a, a sign of the covenant of grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord and God preserved the godly seed. So, that's really what it's about here. And what the Abrahamic covenant is going to be about too is um, there will be a godly seed and that godly seed will be preserved. Now we talked about the covenant of redemption earlier. And the covenant of grace that we'll talk about many, many times flows from the covenant of redemption. It is the last earthly covenant that God makes before the end of the world. The covenant of grace. We as new covenant believers, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, are in the covenant of grace or you can call it the New Covenant, which is the final, final expression of the covenant 
of redemption. And who wants to tell us what the covenant of redemption is? Don't worry about a runner for this one. Well, I'll just recap it. But who would, who would like to tell us about what the covenant of redemption is? Shortly. Ah. So we need a review, don't we? <laughs> okay, Doug, go ahead. It's a covenant that was made in, before the creation of anything with uh, God, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit that was going to receive everything that we're experiencing today. Uh, basically, that was the agreement that Christ made that he would die on the cross on behalf of our sin. And true or false, it happened after the fall. Ah, there you go. No, I said true or false. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. You get an A anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, it was before, I don't know how you say how before eternity? As old as God himself? Because God never learns anything. Okay, God can't grow, God can't learn. So the fall was, not a, uh, was always in his mind. He knew it was going to happen. People were always in his mind. He knew they were going to happen. We can't even talk about time when we talk about God. Um, I'm not an expert in this, but I hear people say, and I think in some ways it's probably true, is that um, all time is present with God because he doesn't grow or learn. Doesn't, it's present because he knows everything already. Now, that certainly isn't us. Uh, we grow, we learn, we'll do that for all eternity because we're creatures, but he's the creator. So talking about the covenant of redemption, we saw the Adamic covenant, which was a covenant of works, and he failed, and, and it didn't take very long for him to fail. We don't know how long it was, but he failed very, very quickly and plunged the entire human race into destruction and sin and eternal hell. However, there was a promise, even after the fall, you know, that there would be a seed that would crush the serpent's head. And, um, of course, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the first prophecy. Remember, prophecy is progressive. So now we know that there's going to be a remedy for what's happened. It's given to us by promise. In the midst of the greatest destruction that ever happened, there's a promise that there's going to be a Savior. It's masked a little bit, but now with the knowledge we have, we can fully flesh out Genesis 3, 5 and know exactly what it means. Eve was given that promise along with Adam. And so Eve, you know, well, she was waiting for the promise. There was no time stamp put on it. God didn't say, you know, many centuries from now. No, he said, uh, your seed is going to crush the serpent's head. You can imagine how excited she was when Cain was born. Naturally thinking, here it is. God gave me a man. This is going to crush the serpent's head. And then Abel was born. I'm sure she was very, very happy about that too. And then, instead of Cain crushing the serpent's head, Cain crushed his brother's head. Huh? And all of a sudden, Eve lost two sons at once. Oh, Cain was still alive, but he was gone, exiled, and um, Abel was dead. And then Seth was born, because God is never defeated. And she says, um, well, let me see if I can find the exact wording of what she says here. I think it's in my notes. Um, anyway, well, I won't find the exact wording, but basically... Seth has the idea of, um, of um, appointed. 
been appointed. You know, a man's been appointed to me. And so she would have renewed hopes that this would be the one, most likely. Of course, uh, she would live many, 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 many more years, find out that he was not the one. She would die. Um, and Seth would die. But the line would not die because it would be through him. So there you go. So that brings us up to, uh, we already talked about Noah, brings us up to that. Everyone's in Adam or Christ. That's the whole basis of covenant theology that we're talking about. And uh, so now let's go ahead. I have a lot more I can say, but let's not do any more. Let's go to the promise to Abraham. Now, I worded that purposely. And uh, Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, I think is the most difficult covenant to understand. And uh, amongst true Bible believers and Reformed people, I think it's the most difficult covenant to understand. In fact, when it's all said and done, and I hope we'll understand this, and it'll take a few weeks to go through it. What, what separates us, even though we love our Presbyterian, let me just use Presbyterian brethren as an example. What separates us from the Presbyterians is the way that we look at the covenant, of the Abrahamic covenant. Because um, the, our, our Presbyterian brethren are, are pretty spot on. They say the Abrahamic covenant is the covenant of grace. And um, I would say the covenant of grace is included in the Abrahamic covenant. But there's also another covenant within. We can actually, instead of looking at it as, as one covenant with two administrations, I think we're better to look at it as a two covenants. And I think we'll be better off. And we'll try to explain that as we go. Uh, and we'll try to go through the scriptures. We won't get there today. That's just so you know where we're going to go with this. And the reason I call this the promise uh, to Abraham is uh, because um, uh, this, um, the, we can see the covenant of grace kind of embedded in here, even though it's not a formal covenant in the ways we've talked about covenants yet. Um, you might remember, there's two kinds of covenants, conditional and unconditional. Okay? Uh, there are no conditions here, so it falls into a category of a covenant of grace, but really it's the promise of what's going to be given later in the covenant. He's living by a promise. Of course, when the covenant comes, he's still going to be living by a promise, isn't he? It's still going to be a promise. So whether you agree or disagree on whether this is the covenant, I, I like to think of it as the promise of the covenant and then the formality of the covenant comes later. Um, in a covenant, be it a covenant of works or a covenant of grace, they're the terms from the greater party to the lesser. And you see that here. You see the terms coming from God to Abram. I'm going to call him Abraham all the time because that's hard for me to say Abram. Okay. He's going to be Abraham. <laughs> okay. But the terms are here. A promise is made from the greater party to the lesser. You can certainly see that here. Allegiance is sworn by the lesser party. I think you can see that, you know, by implication here. I can think, you can see it by implication. And um, in a covenant of works, there's a threat of punishment for breaking the covenant. Uh, we don't see that here. Uh, but um, there's a seal to the covenant. And, um, yeah, the seal could be said to be at the end of verse 3. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Because um, that's talking about Israel, 
but most importantly, talking about Christ. Okay, so there, there we go. So um, let me just read it to you. Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so uh, I would take that promise as uh, through Israel and the seed all the families of the earth will be blessed, and the seed will come through Israel, and that's the way all the families of the earth will be blessed. We'll be going to a lot of New Testament scriptures, basically, uh, to prove that point uh, later as we go. Okay, so um, we can, this is a giant step forward in redemptive history. God deals individually with Abraham. God tells Abraham that all nations will be blessed through his seed, and we can see this promise fulfilled three ways, actually. Okay. That's number one, the father of the nation of Israel. And you're going to notice, whenever the covenant is spoken about after Abraham, it's always going to be, I am the God of, that's covenant language, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you'll almost always see it that way. Very rarely would say, I'm the God of Abraham. I mean, it can, it can say that, but usually, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there's a good reason for that. There's a good reason for that. Uh, because, um, you know, Abraham had his Ishmael. Not in the covenant. You know, um, Isaac had his Esau. Not in the covenant, although it's interesting that God promised land to Esau. And Esau got his own land. You know, but he's certainly not in the covenant that we're speaking of. You know, and, um, and uh, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What, what's unique about Jacob? There's something unique about him compared to Abraham and Isaac. I think you were saying it. Are you saying it? Deceitful. Deceitful. He's deceitful. <laughs> okay. But so was Abraham. So and so was Isaac. <laughs> he had so many sons. He had so many sons, but there's something unique about the fact that he had so many sons. Trying to draw it out of you. <laughs> Twelve tribes came from him. Okay. Yes. Okay. Remember? I said Abraham had his um, Ishmael. And uh, Isaac had his Esau. But Jacob had 12 sons. And all of them are in the covenant of grace. So you don't say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. You don't say even though the line will go through Judah. You don't say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, who's his favorite son. Okay. If he was able, if he was to pick one, if it was up to him to pick a favorite son to have the seed go through, he'd pick, he'd pick him. He'd pick Joseph. You know, that's what he would do. He gave the double blessing to Joseph. That's why we have the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. And if you look, you won't see. Oh, occasionally it talks about the tribe of Joseph. Occasionally you'll find that language. But um, really, uh, Esau, I mean, uh, Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph, have their own tribes. That's a double blessing. He gets two. And that makes 13 tribes. 
Okay, but why, okay, Levi. The priestly tribe will be scattered throughout the whole region. They have no nation, they have no tribe, uh, tribal land of their own. They get tribal land within the other lands with the purpose being that the Levites would teach the people wherever they were throughout the land of Israel the ways of God. Didn't always work out that way, <laughs> but that's the way it was set up to be. Okay. Pastor Ken's going to get to an interesting passage in Judges near the end where there's a Levite who actually is, well, he doesn't lead people in the ways of God. Let me put it that way. <laughs> you know, a Levite uh, uh, does um, and, uh, well, we'll wait for that one. Okay. <laughs> we'll I, I was it. hoping that you would get into it and like save me the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> so, at any rate, there you go. Um, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar. Okay, from from Amam, um, the and the promises there. Uh, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, uh, from the. To, I guess you could call them concubines. And finally, Joseph and Benjamin from the beloved Rachel. So there it is. So progressive revelation is working through. By the time we come to the book of Gen the end of the book of Genesis, we'll have, you know, Pastor Ken and his preach will have actually gone through practically every doctrine in seed form that's in the scriptures. And we'll have actually gotten to a point. Uh, in the progressive revelation that we will know and have skipped ahead uh, a few centuries to see that Judah, that the, the seed would come through Judah. And it kind of didn't look that way because Saul was the first king from Benjamin. But you know how that turned out, right? Okay, so it would be Judah. And that's what it says in Genesis 49.10, the scepter, which is symbolic of ruling, shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and unto him shall be the obedience of the people. And that lawgiver was not Moses, Moses, you know. Um, the lawgiver, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Shiloh comes, uh, and the, to him shall be the obedience of the people. So by the time we come to the end of the book of Genesis, we've learned that the promised one would come from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah. And yet I am unaware of any prophecy after that for anyone until we come to David. Now, I could be wrong. Not the Bible answer man. <laughs> but I'm not aware of any. I, I mean, here we have um, the, the son of Judah that's chosen is Perez. Now, we find that from the genealogies. Perez well, through no fault of his own, uh, was conceived in a, a very uh, yeah, sinful way. That's a good way to put it. Conceived in a very sinful way. Um, he actually um, went into his daughter-in-law, and she conceived twins. And Perez was the twin that was chosen to be part of the royal seed. Uh, the line of Christ, um, interestingly enough, especially as you read Matthew, um, and Luke, of course, uh, gives us uh, even a further back lineage. But the line of Christ is uh, an interesting study. Um, I've, I've preached on it before, 
it's been years, probably a few years. But, um, you know, you find some, some pretty rogue individuals there, you know. Some of them that, um, but, but all of them, you know. The four women that are listed, you know. Um, Rahab, you know. Um, the wife, that, uh, the daughter-in-law that we're talking about, you know. The, the Ruth, a Moabitess. They, Bathsheba, you, you don't know what happened with her. Right? That's not a happy story. You know? uh, well, tokens of grace. Tokens of God's grace. You know, we, God, God didn't come to save a perfect people. He came to perfect sinful people and to bring us to himself. So, and the genealogies show that. By the way, um, genealogies, um, I'm doing a study trying to figure out how long it was uh, between the flood and Abraham. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. If you counted the genealogies as being correct, life's and death and everything like that, you come up with 292 years. But we don't think that the genealogies work that way, that they actually are, you know, um, point, sometimes we know a few places that it's grandfather's, and a couple generations are, are skipped, even though they're real. You know, we know that for sure. And so some have estimated a, a thousand years, you know. I have no idea. Not able to come up with an answer. Somewhere probably between 300 and a thousand years, you know. And a lot of things can happen in a thousand years. And maybe even more. I mean, that's what I found the estimates of. So I just don't know. And we don't know. But we do know that there was a, a pretty good-sized population on the earth by the time we come to Abraham, because the Tower of Babel has taken place, there's been that kind of dispersion, there's been that kind of separation of peoples because of the confusion of languages. So a lot has happened, and if you don't think a lot can happen in a thousand years, well, what was the world like a thousand years ago? Yeah, ah, <laughs> okay. Uh, and, um, you know, I was doing another study, I was just thinking about something, oh, oh Abraham, yeah. Um, Abraham was told that uh, there would be 400 years of bondage. We're going to get to that when we get to the covenants in, in Genesis 15. There's going to be a, a terrible darkness comes, and, and your people are going to be in bondage 400 years. Um, and so, well, we know it. That's Egypt, right? Do you know, 400 years ago, the pilgrims were not yet quite here. Yeah. Or were they here? They were here. Oh, no, wait. Let's see, 1620, and now we're 20. But some people say it's 430 years, not 400 years. So the pilgrims weren't here. That's where I get that. Top of my head. <laughs> Always a problem. <laughs> but, you know, it's Bible study. So we can work these things through. We'll get to that about 400 or 430 years. Okay. Anyway, we don't know of any prophecy that told the people in the Old Covenant that Perez would be the line of the seed. And we don't see any others, but interestingly enough, we have the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth becomes an important book uh, in, in so many ways. It's a great story of redemption, for one thing, of course. But at the end, you have a, a very interesting uh, biography. It obviously was written um, by, by those that were looking back and knew the story, and they're going to show the Davidic line, and that's exactly what they do. They show the Davidic line, and they talk about um, uh, what, what happened and go that way. So, anyway, that's where we get an idea of the seed, but like I say, it kind of comes 
after it had been written after the fact, as we can see. Okay, and so when we get to David, we now know where the seed is coming from and the royal seed prophesied in Genesis 49.10. So, um, Abraham's promised to be the father of many, many nations. We learn Abraham is the father of all those who come to God by faith. We're not going to turn there right now, um, but we're going to spend a lot of time on that. That Abraham is the father of all those who come to God by faith. And Galatians 3.16 simply says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. Okay, so that, that's going to be a key passage that we'll spend some time digging into. That brings us to the third point. The first point being, Abraham was promised to be the father of a favored nation. Abraham is the father of all those who come to God by faith. And as part of the line and lineage of Messiah, who would come through the line of Abraham, specifically through his promised son, Abraham, and, uh, and you know, Sarah, Baron, and then she has a child. I mean, this is quite a test of faith for Abraham. You know, when God comes here in chapter 12, we're not quite sure. Sarah's pretty old, and Abraham's pretty old. Doesn't say that they're barren yet, though. By the time we get to chapter 15, it's she's barren. She can't have a child. You know, do, do something else. You know, do something else, God. You know, and of course, they do something else. Disaster. You know, disaster follows. Okay, and um, you know, um, I'll tell you what, uh, Joe, why don't you read, turn, I'm going to give you two passages to read, and I'll separate them a little bit. Hebrews 11, 8 through 11. Okay, Hebrews 11, 8 through 11. The Abrahamic covenant is actually two covenants. It's the physical constitution that becomes the nation of Israel, and it's the promise of the covenant of grace, the new covenant, that he might not have fully understood, but he looked ahead to by faith. And that's the covenant that we enjoy. Okay, so there you go. Hebrews 11, 8 through 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in the foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he, walked, he waited for the city, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Okay. God had promised, and uh, God delivered. Because he always does. If God promises, he's going to deliver. Okay. He won't always deliver in the way that you expect him to deliver, but that's still true today. He's faithful to his promises. And so here we have promises. You notice the promise aspect that was said a couple of times in that passage, too. It's the promise of the covenant of grace. And uh, when God promises, it's as good as done. But he'll formalize that covenant. 
you know, as, as we go through the passage here and look ahead. Now, there's going to be one more passage for you to read, uh, Joe. Uh, Genesis 13, 11 through 18. Okay. And we'll have time to finish this. I we didn't know if I'd get through this or not today, but we're going to get to go through it. Genesis 13, 11 through 18. Everybody can turn there. And Joe's going to read it in a couple moments here. But um, remember what happened with Abraham and Sarah. It's progressive revelation. We are not called to have faith in what God has not promised. I mean, that's not faith. If God hasn't promised it, it's not faith. You know, you can believe anything you want to believe. You know, just think good thoughts. And, and uh, if someone's sick, um, you say, well, I'm, I'm going to send good wishes your way. You know, uh, I don't know what good that's going to do. I don't think it's going to do much, although, you know, it's better than saying good. I'm glad you're sick. <laughs> it's better than that. But uh, obviously, pray for somebody. Pray for somebody that way, because God is the one that can heal them and make them well. We're not called to have faith in what God has not revealed, but we are called upon to have faith in what God has revealed. Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. Are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, you're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. You see it better than Abraham did, because you see the church. But the full revelation of it comes with the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, so that's what we're, that's what we're looking for. We're pilgrims too. We're still pilgrims in this world. Now, Abraham was promised a nation. And let me take a look at your outline here to see what I actually wrote about that. Yeah, it's an old back page, but we'll go through it pretty quickly. What makes a nation? He was promised a great nation. How do we define a nation? So if you would read that, Joe, then we'll talk about what makes a nation. That's all we'll have time for today. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and the Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and the and pitched its tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, After Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there, an altar there to the Lord. Okay, okay, built an altar. That's always interesting, too. Because by the time we, we get, well, anyway, that's another sidetrack. If you build an altar, we'll just leave it at that. At least there's, there's at least four components to what makes a nation. Okay? And they're on your outline there. Um, offspring, needs to be people. There's land, government, in other words, laws or some kind of 
and thing like that, and then leaders. Okay, so these are the things that are being promised. Again, it's a promise, if you notice. We're going to, to see this given to him by covenant, but Abraham has already been told, this is what is going to happen. And there's no strings attached, if you notice. It's what's going to happen. You know, it's a promise that he gives to Abraham here, that Abraham had to believe by faith. Um, offspring. We can, see, we can see some similarities, and I'm going to try to show the similarities in the promise between the physical and the spiritual. The spiritual has no strings attached. Okay, it's just, it's the covenant. It is, it is the foreshadowing of the covenant of grace that we see come fully in the new covenant. Okay, that's what we have going on in the spiritual. But there's a physical aspect to this too, and um, so we want to look at both. He's promised a physical nation that has physical offspring. And God would do that for Abraham. Abraham became the father of many nations, but as you know, there would be one blessed nation that God would say, I am your God. And he said that often to Israel. You know, we get into the Mosaic Covenant, and we'll see, and, and by the way, Mosaic Covenant is a covenant of works. We're going to see um, God coming to them in, in many different ways through Moses. So God would do that for Abraham. He'd make them the father of many nations, but Israel would be the blessed nation. And here we see he's in Canaan land. Canaan land is what they're promised. And that's what the whole idea of going into the land is. Yeah. And then that Canaan land can be expanded by promise too. And under Solomon it was expanded and it became even larger. A spiritual nation, though, is um, comprised of spiritual offspring. And uh, the Jews of that day, um, yeah, I'm just going to, I'm not going to turn us to the passage. I'll just um, talk about it. The Jews of Jesus' day were proud to be Abraham's children. John the Baptist, though, dared to stand and tell them, you know, no, you're not Abraham's children. If, if Abraham, if you'd obeyed, you know, Abraham obeyed. Abraham listened. And uh, he said, uh, you know, God can raise up stones to be Abraham's children. You know, so who do you think you are? You think you're so great? And Christ would take it one step further and he'd say, you're not Abraham's children. You're, you're children's the devil. You're children of the devil. You know, John chapter 8. And so, um, of course, um, they didn't like that. <laughs> they, you know, they were proud. They thought their heritage was good enough. But a better day was coming. A day when it wouldn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. What mattered was that you believed by faith because God had changed your heart. And that was what the difference was going to be. The middle wall partition between Jew and Gentile would be broken down and there would be one people in God's church. And now to this day, we can talk about um, there's only two types of people in the world. Those that uh, are children in Adam, those that are children in Christ. That's the only kind of people there are in the world. And ethnicity doesn't, ethnicity matters, you know, race can matter, but it shouldn't matter that much to Christians. Those things shouldn't matter to us. Instead, we should, um, you know, be witnessing to the children of Adam and uh, rejoicing with those in Christ. Yeah. So the New Testament 
fully reveals something that was always true, even in the Old Testament. Only those who come to God by faith are the real children of Abraham. They would come to the point that they thought that they were God's people because they were circumcised. Do you think that's true? Uh, is it important to be circumcised nowadays? Not important at all. Yeah, that, that's a voluntary choice of the parents, because the kid isn't going to decide. Voluntary choice of the parents uh, whether to do that, and you would be doing it for medical reasons, or just because that's what you think is good. I hope you would not do that for religious reasons, because uh, the book of Galatians would be all against you. But um, there's nothing wrong with being circumcised. It's, it's fine, as long as it's not done for religious reasons. And it's fine to not be circumcised, as long as your heart is circumcised. That's what we're talking about now, nowadays. Okay, so there's a nation, there's land, there's offspring, there's land. And obviously, physically, it means Canaan land for Old Testament Israel. Um, judges being raised up. Finally, kings being raised up, you know, sometimes going into uh, difficult times, you know. Kind of interesting, the people that Christ was arguing with a few moments ago when I said, um, he said, you have your father the devil. They said, um, we've never been in bondage to any man. I haven't been reading the Bible too well. <laughs> they were in bondage a lot, you know, 430 years in Egypt. And then, of course, um, throughout the book of Judges, they'd be delivered, and then, boom, there they go, into a form of bondage again. Maybe not pure slavery, but certainly fear and hiding and subservience and um, others ruling over them. Okay. So that, I always thought that was an interesting passage, just how blind they are. We've never been in bondage to anyone. And they were in bondage to Rome <laughs> when they said it. So... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Very good. So land, you know. So in a spiritual sense, we like Abraham by faith look for a city whose human foundations uh, are, 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 yeah, sorry, whose maker and builder is God. Okay. We look for a new heavens, a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, better than the promised land and better than Eden, better than the beginning, as our friend Rich Barcellus says in his book, the title of his book that he wrote. Then there's government, there's laws. Moses would bring them the law in codified form. It'll be moral, civil, and ceremonial. The, the civil and ceremonial laws are what we call positive laws. The things that we would never know unless it was revealed. That's what a positive law is. God has to reveal positive law to us. You know, uh, but uh, and there would be many of them. There would be a lot, you know, um, and there'd be tests of their obedience. But um, the moral law, the moral law, even though it's revealed by Moses, didn't come from Moses. The moral law has always been true. There's always been the moral law. The Ten Commandments, as we know them, still exist, still are true, and um, and uh, the so, but it's codified in the tablets of stone. So there's government, there's got to be laws. Uh, we're blessed to have the completed and final word, the final revelation of God, as our only rule of faith and practice. You know, that's, that's our authority. 
is the word of God. You know. It's kind of interesting because Abraham uh, had idolaters in his family. You know that? In, in, not, I'm, talking about the bat, I'm talking about the seed. You know? Because um, uh, when um, they go and uh, when finally Jacob is leaving, you know, she steals some of uh, her father's idols and hides them. You know? And we find this kind of idolatry uh, throughout the Old Testament. And um, one good thing, well, there are many good things that came from the Babylonian captivity. Um, they became Sabbath keepers, way beyond what they should have been, but they became Sabbath keepers. And idolatry was finally thrown out. You know, Pastor Ken preaching judges, idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. That's why they always are going in and... Uh, and getting in trouble. Then they turn to God. Finally, they turn to God. Yeah, so, so laws and then leaders. Israel had many leaders until finally King David came on the scene and then his sons that would reign after him. And we have great David's greater son who will never leave his throne. And the promises that are made in the Davidic covenant have been fulfilled. And his throne is an everlasting one. Okay. Well, we're out of time. So, you know, if you have questions, you can ask afterwards. Save them up, ask them next time. Uh, we, next week we'll st still be in covenants. Be looking a little deeper into the Abrahamic covenant. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your blessings to us. And now as we prepare our hearts for worship, I pray that Jesus Christ would receive for himself all the glory. Speak to us through your word. Your word is truth. Help us to be students of your word and, and to know it deeply. And Lord, that doesn't happen in a day and it doesn't happen in a week and it doesn't happen in a month. It doesn't even happen by spending three, four years in seminary. It comes by looking to you and being students of the word and using the means of grace week after week after week to be built up in the most holy faith. Help us to be people that do exactly that. And may Jesus Christ receive for himself the glory. In his name we pray. Amen.